Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, This is Leanne Nguyen uh, calling, talking to you from New York City on this beautiful sunny day, brisk and crisp sunny day in November in New York. And I'm so glad to be alive and so glad to find you here with me on this hour. Uh, My guest today is Dr. Stuart Perlman. He is a a psychoanalyst and psychologist based in Los Angeles. And um, so like me, you know, he has a practice in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis. He also has written a lot about trauma. But this uh, shared occupation is not why I sought him out for a conversation today. Because uh, Stuart is also a painter. And for the past few years, he spent hundreds of hours on the streets of Los Angeles doing portraits of homeless people. And this work culminated in a documentary called Struggle in Paradise, which won the Best Movie of the Year Award uh, with the National Association for the Advancement of Psychoanalysis. And his oil paintings, his his oil portraits of these homeless people have uh, recently been compiled in a book published by Toku Publishing. Like the movie, the book is called Struggle in Paradise. And it's basically, you know, filled with all of these really arresting, uh, grabbing portraits of the people that Stuart spent hours and hours on the streets of L.A., on the beach, um, in Santa Monica, Venice Beach uh, with. And I urge you to get hold of the book, not for Stuart's sake, not to increase his sales. You know that I don't care much about that. <laughs> Promotion is not my forte for, for myself or for others. I urge you to get hold of the book and look at these faces for me and for yourselves. Let me explain a little bit. Inside the book, you have these faces. I would like for you to look at these portraits, learn about these lives, and you can connect with something in yourselves. I promise you, because I did. It did it for me. You can connect with your own dreams, some realized, some lost, your pains and joys, the ordinary and the exquisite in human lives. Look at these portraits, learn about these lives so as to connect with the fundamental facts of human existence, with how random, how ruthless it can be, but also how creative and beautiful is its potential. And I urge you to look at these portraits because it is my conviction, born of my own life experience and professional practice, that when we take the time, when we devote some spaciousness of the heart When we supply our intelligence and courage to look at another human being, to really look at another human being, something shifts, you know, something deepens, something opens up that then helps us connect with ourselves. I urge you to look at these faces 
as they were captured by Stuart for my sake as well, because I want you to join me, to support me, to confirm for me my desire to live in a world where people look at, listen to, tend to one another. I want to live in a world, or at least to be able to find confirmation for my dream of a world where some of us dare to or care to take the time to look at, to touch, to smell, to hear, to be with other human beings. All right? This radio show was offered to me as an opportunity to cultivate my my image, to, to, to get my brand out, <laughs> to advertise my product. You know, to this day, I'm still teased about getting my marketing terminology all mixed up. And as far as, as marketing strategy is concerned, um, I think my producers have given up. They, they've, they've folded their tent and left. Um, so this show is, is really a cri de coeur. It, it's, it's a love song for me to you out there. And my message is this. We need to look at each other. We need to take cognizance of the things that make us human so that we can cherish them, honor them, tend to them. Because God knows that the things that corrupt, that erase our humanity are plentiful and relentless every day. They're sometimes insidious, sometimes obvious, but they're all around us and they're all assailing us. And I will speak more of that at a later show in January, of of the dehumanization that takes place in our daily lives. But for now, let me just say again that I believe we need more kindness and tenderness toward one another. Otherwise, the dehumanizing effect that is running rampant and that is systematically encouraged will end up defining us as a culture, as a species even. Kindness and tenderness. I spoke of these two precious forces at the beginning of the series as a way of announcing myself. I spoke of them as the task in which we may be failing spectacularly, as the vital quality in which we are sorely lacking. What I mean by kindness is this. It is when we extend to the other person a recognition of his struggle a willingness to see the other person's woundedness and to join him in that place of fear and pain from our own recognition of our own struggle. To be capable of kindness requires that you be in touch with, that you be willing to recognize and respect, even cherish your own wounds and vulnerability. To be kind is to be able to say with every breath, every gesture, every word, when we face the other person, to say, I will look at you and I can see you because I know what hurts. And I still want to know you because I see you and because I'm willing to see myself in you. Only when you are capable of being in that place of recognition can you tend to the other in his vulnerability and can you be kind. Only when you remember your humanity and are willing to behold it with all its shards and glints can you be truly kind. And what I mean by tenderness may be best uh, conveyed by a quote uh, by Milan Kundera, the Czech writer. He said, the attempt, 
with tenderness, he said, is the attempt to create a tiny space in which we mutually agree to treat each other like a child. To me, it's the willingness and the strength to let ourselves be disarmed by the other person's beauty and fragility. To me, tenderness flows from the recognition of the demands and needs of the vulnerability and the ferociousness of the other person. And, and it flows from the commitment and the faith to surrender to the impact of the other person's needs and power to love. To treat each other like a child. In other words, to treat each other with wonderment about our passion, with awe about our fearlessness and fragility, with a fierce commitment to safeguard our humanness, and with a surrender to our own desire to be a force of good and a softening but ferocious leaning into our faith in love and connection. Because when we receive kindness, when we step into tenderness, we rediscover the things that make us human, the things that we need in order to survive, to live, to thrive. The solidarity and beauty that we naturally, inescapably have with one another. But how to get there? How to do that? Where to get the support, the inspiration to cultivate kindness and tenderness? For the remainder of this series, which, by the way, will end in a few months, I will look for the answers to that question, the question of how do we get the support to remain human, to have tenderness and kindness towards each other and to offer beauty to each other. But so that is the reason for my invitation to my guests today. I wish to have a conversation with a fellow human being who committed to the act of looking at and being with other human beings, beings who would be deemed forgettable, reprehensible, or to be avoided. I want to ask Stuart about kindness and tenderness in his portraits of the homeless people. Are you ready, Stuart? <laughs> Welcome ready to the I'm show. <laughs> I'm very, very good. By, very touched by your introduction and your statements, because these are things we don't hear in our society these days, and it's, it's not being modeled. And I think you're putting forth a manifesto that I can 100% get behind, and I think it's so important. I think we're being so cruel and mean to each other in even small ways in terms of stealing each other's parking space or bumping each other. We need to move towards kindness and seeing each other as cherished human beings each to each other. And that's mm-hmm. what's not going on with the homeless. They're being left. I, I, people walk over people dying on the street, just step over them and ignore the humanity that this is a valuable, caring, important, human, unique human being who needs our help, who deserves mm-hmm. the rights inalienable rights of our Constitution to be able to live and thrive in our world and have a space for themselves. I believe that the civil rights 
and the basic necessary needs of these people are being ignored and crushed. And people are dying, and people are feeling like garbage, like people can be thrown in trash cans, literally, and some have been. Mm-hmm. I have spent the last basically nine years of my life, 20 hours a week, painting 220-some-odd portraits, some as large as four feet by five feet, of people with very thick paint with my hands after getting to know and spending hours with each person, talking to them, getting to know them, and gaining the trust of these people who have been abused, mistreated, and traumatized repetitively. The people that I have met on the streets, and I've interviewed about 220, almost every single one of them has been traumatized massively before they were homeless, contributing Mm -hmm. to their homelessness. And once they're on the streets, they are repetitively, repetitively traumatized in horrible ways, which lock them into being homeless. They are disoriented and brutalized. People who are hit by a car, on, they're taken to a hospital they're, they're, mm-hmm. once they're run over. But homeless people who have been repetitively run over by trauma, beaten and physically mal-starved and, and mistreated are just taken to prison from mm-hmm. sleeping on the streets. Where can they go when the, the police and the city come by and they... They take their, their belongings and throw them in the trash and, and take out hoses to wash down and scare people out of areas. They just move to another area. There is no mm-hmm. positive alternative that is given to them. Mm-hmm. I believe that this is something that has broken my heart. When I go out to paint, I spend hours with each person, and I spend sometimes 20, 25 conversations over years, getting to know different people who are out on the streets living and dying there, Mm -hmm. encouraging them to be painted and part of my project. So my project is very much painting intense portraits with vivid colors and emphasis on the eyes because I believe if you can see their faces, hear their stories, hopes, fears, and accomplishments, and look into their eyes, these people will become individual, cherished people to us, and then you will never see a homeless person the same again. We'll have mm-hmm. empathy for them and be available to help. And even just if it's just a smile, a few dollars, a, a little bit of food, a piece of clothing, it's, it's the feeling that they are a nothing and that they are trash and not even worthy of being helped that is as devastating as living on the streets and not having food or medical care. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and so many times their, their things are thrown into the trash and stolen from them, and then they don't have IDs, they don't have identification, and then they can't get services from any major governmental agency. They can't get food stamps, they can't get medical care because they don't have identification. But Homeless people's stuff are often taken and destroyed and stolen, and, and they're left in this limbo where they can't get help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so you said that if we can just look into their eyes and their faces, then we can see the human being. Then we will not be able to look away. Now, here's yeah. a question for you. 
uh, that I want to share with you. You know, I New York City is is full of, of homeless people. In 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 the subway, and I step outside my office, you know, and there's a yes. heap right in front, right on Seventh Avenue. You know, in 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 the heart of money making, uh, metro- metropolis. And I tell myself, you know, this person used to be a baby, you know, a, a round, fat, clean, beloved baby. Right, and this yeah. person used to have used to be someone's son and daughter, and used to have birthday cakes and 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 play dates and so on before yeah. everything went to shit. I tell myself that, but it is unbearable, Stuart. It's unbearable for me to stop and look, and I find that a, a very uh, heart wrenching kind of of a failure. And I ask myself often, what makes it so difficult? to stop and look at devastation, you know, at, at, at a desolate, devastated, discarded life. And then that's why I, I want to ask you, you stopped and looked, and I would like very much to know what it took for you. It must not have been easy. This was not like, you know, painting portraits of some uh, somebody in Beverly Hills, you know, <laughs> uh, which maybe you can speak about the, the whole artistic tradition, right, of, of portraits. I think that you you, you take off from that, of uh, right, of, of, of kings and queens and presidents would have portraits. So uh, we, we're going to take a, a very quick break in, in a minute. But may I ask you that question? Can you go back and, and, and share with me, with us, what it took? What did it take for you to look? Because that's, I think, the thing that is hard for all of us. It requires well, something it, of us. Go ahead. It takes us really looking... You know, when you see that level of devastation and vulnerability and destruction of another human being, I think it's very, very scary. I think it triggers our own feelings of vulnerability, our own feelings that, and the reality that we're all one thin experience, one horrible thin experience away from being devastated, traumatized to the point of possibly being homeless. Many of the people I work with are that have been my, I'm a private practitioner in treating people for significant amounts of money. So, but I do this because these people are good people and they've had horrible things happen to them. And those horrible things can trigger so much inside of us, really panic us about our own vulnerability and mortality. And it takes facing the reality that we're all vulnerable. Therefore, the grace of God go I. We're all just one thin experience away from being homeless, traumatized, and having, and and being unable to function. And then and, if and there just, is, just, if you're and, not, yeah, and being ignored at that simple level, being dehumanized, and ignored. Um, I'm very sorry to interrupt here, but but there's the reality of of the commercial break. Um, let me pause here. We'll be back in two minutes and resume with Stuart Perlman. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? 
Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Stuart Perlman. Stuart, right before the break, you said something uh, very kind and very profound uh, about the rest of us who do not dare to look at these homeless people that I want to go back to and ask you to emphasize more. You said that we can't look because it is really, um, because we're afraid, right? We're terrified of facing our own mortality, and um, I was thinking, yeah. it is so true that there is, especially nowadays in this society, in this, this culture in North America, there is absolutely no support, no permission, no encouragement for us to think about and deal with our vulnerability and mortality. So, can you say more ab- about that moment of, of yeah, terror that I, makes us look away? It, what I would like to do is to... W- there are many of these stories and many of these people's stories and lives who have touched me and I've cried with them and cried alone about what's happened to them. I'd like to share with you and highlight that the book is filled with these beautiful portraits, but they're also filled with biographies of these people's lives and that I have followed them for many years so that mm-hmm. you get the story, the bio, the portrait, and a follow-up on the person. And I'd like to talk to you about Daniel, because Daniel illustrates this fear and how their story and their reality can trigger so much inside of us. Because Daniel's story, and I'm starting to read his bio in the book, is one that has haunted me ever since I've heard it, because it represents my biggest fear. Hmm. An Air Force intelligence veteran and a college graduate 
Daniel, in his 50s, worked at AIG Architects in Dallas for 14 years. He began as a draftsman and ultimately became a project coordinator. He had a family whom he adored. Then one night, Daniel got a call from the local sheriff informing him that a drunk driver had killed his wife and children. Daniel went crazy. He says, I don't know what, what I'm doing anymore. He smoked crack cane, slept around, and lost a dangerous amount of weight. Eventually, he came to California and ended up on the beach. Daniel started writing poems, which he calls his therapy. After seven years on the beach, Daniel's dream of having his home home again came true through a HUD VASH Veterans Affairs Supportive Housing Program. He applied for grants to go back to school and is making plans to start his own car restoration business. So this man's wife and children, which were the centerpiece of his whole life, this is a very successful man with house, uh, uh, cars, making a tremendous amount of money. A drunk driver smashed his wife and children to death. And then he completely lost it and walked away from everything, just wandering this country, completely broken. Mm-hmm. And these programs, it took seven years and the help of many of these programs to help him get him back on his feet, get his own place, find a way to help make his own living. And this is a success story. But it came yeah. about because people were there for him, helping him. And I must tell you, I knew him. I've known him for like probably 12 years now. And we spent a lot of time talking to him on the beach and when he was homeless, painted him, did his biography, helped him in many ways, money, food, clothing. And then, but it took a governmental program that really gave him an apartment and grants to go back to school to help him bring his life back together. And he needed therapy and all sorts of services. And this is what I would like our society to do, to help each other. And now he's a tax-paying contributing member of society again. But we are not there for people in their time of need, and we're not there and willing to see their pain. We denigrate them and think that they're nothing. This was a highly educated veteran and college graduate and very successful um, manager of very large construction sites and buildings mm-hmm. and, you know, very responsible and a really so, Stuart, terrific you- human being. You painted him when he was homeless. Homeless, yes. Right. What can you describe a little bit of, of your experience in the encounter with him? What did you well, make contact? It's, it's very touching. Um, he. Um, it's interesting that on the beach there was this group of guys that got together, who spent the nights together talking to each other about each of them had lost their wives. Each of them was probably in around their 50s and had long-term marriages of like 20 years at least. And they all lost their wives. And when they lost their wives, they completely almost died inside and gave up and Mm -hmm. couldn't function without them, losing the loves of their life. Mm -hmm. 
And it was devastating to them. And they were all successful. It's very interesting. One owned a nightclub, another a, a series of businesses. These were very, and this is a professional man making, and they all had multiple cars and houses. But when they lost their wives, they just walked away from their, their homes, their money, everything, and mm-hmm. be, wandered homeless. And these mm-hmm. men needed intervention and help. And part of they helped each other some by sitting together and talking together and having a group, support group in essence. And I would come right. and join and sit and talk with them. And I painted all, you know, I painted four of them. And they, mm-hmm. touching lovely men, and yet no one was there to help them. No one was yeah. help, there to help them with their grief. But Stuart, so from what you describe, I would say that they still very much, they remain very much alive in spite of all the losses and all the dehumanizing effect that took place on the streets, right? There was something that still yeah. stayed alive, meaning the connection, the, the, the wanting and the capacity to connect with other people. Yeah. But, uh, Even in and, their, and with in you. Horror, yeah. yeah. Do you think that's what I, kept some alive and, and, and not others? Yes, some you know I can't tell you how many people on the street that I met died and gave up. Some of them gave up and died. Some OD'd because they couldn't take the pain and self-medicated. Others died of illness because they didn't get proper medical care. Mm-hmm. And these men, they were able to create a bond between them and help each other stay alive, and both physically, emotionally, financially. And in terms of daily survival, because on the street is very dangerous. People come and kill them, mm-hmm. be, the, be the gangs, thugs, people who just want to do hate crimes, um, not having food, having diseases, and they helped each other stay alive. And that was very beautiful. And their humanity for each other and was what I think helped them have humanity for themselves and helped in their ability to find a way. And actually, of the people that I've painted, of these homeless people, the the people who were able to reach out to other homeless people and help each other are some of the people, most of, a lot of the people who survived being homeless. Because to be homeless on your own and despondent, you are likely to die and Mm -hmm. be a target Mm -hmm. for more trauma, for assassination. Right, right. And also to be alone with your own thoughts and feelings, to not be able to engage in that communal sort of storytelling. That's right. Is really a death blow, right? There is I, I mean, this is why this is why you know that solitary confinement is the worst form of torture in prison and in in uh, um in totalitarian regime you know not not amputation not you know electrocution but solitary confinement you are going to be alone and have no one to speak to and to hear you that's what's going to kill you and i hear that's right. what you're and, saying mm-hmm. and many um, cultures, um, the uh, one, the some of the other cultures than our Western civilized culture, in quotes, um, the biggest punishment is called shunning, where people who are part of the community are now seen as non-people, and they are mm-hmm. not recognized, they are not spoken to, they are not, they act as if you don't exist, 
and mm-hmm. that is the, considered the worst punishment possible. Mm-hmm. And this is how people treat homeless people. So I'm encouraging people through my art, which makes their faces, I take big canvases, four feet by five feet, and I paint the canvas. The face fills the entire canvas, and I emphasize the eyes and the intensity of the eyes, and each portrait is an emotional connection and moment of union where they're looking into their... They're looking into your eyes, and you're looking into their eyes. I believe the eyes are the portal to the soul. And so I try to paint the person's soul and life experience into the painting so that you get this immediate graphic experience of their intense life. And uh, someone who reviewed my book said, the paintings are astonishing, on fire with emotion. The book bears witness to the suffering of people experiencing homelessness, touching our souls and conferring immortality on the forgotten ones. The gripping of the painting and then to read their story, of their life, which I've conci- concisely condensed and mm-hmm. why they're homeless. And I have followed most of these people up years later. So this project is a 10-year project. And, it, and you, I've followed people up for years. So you, you hear with Daniel that seven years after I painted him, he got his apartment. And you find out how he got his apartment. And you find out how people became homeless and how they got out of it. And it usually takes some human being's kindness and giving a helping hand and understanding and caring. And some of those people are governmental employees, but many of them are individuals who really reach out to another person in pain and help them. Yeah. Do you have another story? Well, um, yes, I have many stories in this. Um, <laughs> but for now, share but, another one before we go on break. Okay, so I, okay, so I will um, do one that I think is another pointed one. Corey. Corey is in his 20s and had an early childhood so terrible that he could not even talk about it. His father was a raging drunk, and at the age of eight, Corey's parents abandoned him in a parking lot. Somehow he was found and delivered to his aunt and uncle, who raised him. At 18, Corey enlisted in the Navy and became a Navy SEAL. As an expert marksman, he did multiple tours in Iraq. So he did multiple tours in Iraq. But one mission led to his undoing. Corey was ordered to take out a target. And when Corey took aim at the target, the man held up an infant and put it between Corey's rifle and himself. Corey hesitated, but the superior officer said, shoot the target through the baby. Corey refused. He was court-martialed and dishonorably discharged. Following his de- these devastating series of events, Corey had no place to go and became homeless on Venice Beach. He is now with a girlfriend who is also homeless, who is also painted and has a biography in this book. She is pre- pregnant with his child. He desperately wants to get a job and support them. So this man, I think, had came, pulled himself up from terrible yeah. poverty and terrible hardship to become a very successful and, and very honored um, marksman in, the, in our militaries, protecting our nation. And mm-hmm. I can't believe they court-martialed him for that. And he's been treated like junk on the street. Mm-hmm. And he's so upset about it and so angry and so broken about it. 
but he has found mm-hmm. love again and has a baby and want all his biggest desire is just to get a job so he can support this woman he loves and their baby. Yeah. I read that his, go- I, I, I saw uh, and read his girlfriend's uh, bio and um, the mention is that they took, social services took their baby away. Right. So that's the other thing. There are many families on the streets, parents yeah. with children, mothers and fathers with children. And there's an assumption that if you're homeless, in essence, you don't, you're not a caring parent. You don't deserve <laughs> to keep your children. And many, many, many times, social services pulls the child away from the parent, and it's heartbreaking and devastating to the parent, heartbreaking and devastating to the child, and mm-hmm. it just tears families apart. And so they have to hide, and they can't go for services because they're afraid that will be done to them. And they, and it's terrible. And I have a, a biography of a, another man who's on the streets with his wife, and his wife died and his, in the, um, while they were on the streets, and he was there with the baby, and he had to give it up. And it was one of the most devastating things. But the, they these families feel like they have to hide, and they try to send their kids to school even when they're homeless so they can continue to be educated. And then... There's not support for these families, and we are abandoning people and causing intergenerational trauma and devastation. And it's uh, it's a sin, and it's a it's it's a sin on the soul of our society. You know, Mahatma Gandhi said we should be evaluated by how our society treats its least and vulnerable people, and we do not treat them well. It's in in that regard, we live in a very barbaric society in in the yeah. United States of America right now. You know, when yeah, I, we I, I go ahead. I'd like to say one of the things that I think is uh, a tremendously important piece of data. It's forty three percent, based on multiple studies, cheaper to house and give services and help the homeless person than to leave them on the streets because homeless individuals often cycle in and out of our emergency rooms, our mental health centers, and the penal system. They are usually housed in prisons, which cost like $100,000 a year to put someone in prison. And that is a whole industry that has been encouraging that because we have privatized a lot of prisons and uh, mm-hmm. jails, and they make a ton of money on it. Mm-hmm. And um, it costs the taxpayer. Whereas like with Daniel, once you've got services, he now makes a living and pays taxes and is a voter and is contributing member of our society. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's, again, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a stance of punitiveness and punishing the homeless rather than seeing them as people in need of help and if we help them, they can become workers and taxpayers and join and contribute to our society. So there is, it does not make financial or moral sense how we're treating the homeless. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you, Stuart. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the penal system. Like it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, right? And they are totally behind yeah. uh, the, the whole sentencing, mass incarceration a movement that is overrunning the country right now. And it is true that it costs much more to incarcerate a person or to help, you know, to, 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 to deal with a homeless person than to give people 20, 30, thousand dollars which is nothing 
compared to the cost of <laughs> keeping somebody, you know, locked up. And yet we don't do it. Why? Not because we're crazy, but because it makes dollar sense uh, for somebody <laughs> somewhere else you know, so, you to, know, to, to pocket the money. We have more people in jail and in prison than any other country in the world. And we have a larger percentage of our population in prison and in jail than any other country in the world. So think about the civil rights of those people. And um, And when they are and when they are finally released, where do they go? On the street. And there you go. Right. Right. Let's take another short break here and we'll be back for our final segment. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Stuart, yeah. I, I look through... Um, the book, and I, I, I look at each portrait, and I have to share with you, you know, that on a visceral level, it's it's almost unbearable for me, you know, to dwell on these faces. Um, yes. So, in, in a way, you did a great job as, I don't know, as an artist, as a translator, as a conduit <laughs> or something. Yes. But what it made me think, you know, what was it like for you to sit and look at them for hours, I did. how did this process, what did this process touch off in you, Stuart, this well, experience? Um, you know, 
I, I, well, two things come together. One is that I come from a traumatized background, so I don't want to go into detail, but so, but, and so I identify with a lot of the people who are traumatized, and I've lived my life trying to um, shine a light on the power of trauma and the oppression of people and to support the underdog. And I have a, been a psychologist and psychoanalyst for 40 years, treating some of the most traumatized people in the world and um, trying to help people that way. And I wanted to do something larger and communicate to more people. And, um, you know, all around me in Los Angeles, there are so many homeless people. But what to be more direct to your question, you know, if I feel like I'm doing something to help a person, I can sit with the most terrific pain and horror because I think it's in the service of helping the person. And I feel that um, when I'm with these people who are homeless and so traumatized, I have to look at what I'm doing for them. I'm listening to them. I'm hearing them. I'm talking with them. I'm validating that they are some ways heroic, trying to, that they are a survivor. Anyone who's on mm-hmm. the street for any period of time has to be a survivor, has to have some strong strengths in them to still be alive or else they would just die. It's a very, very challenging and difficult experience. So if you see a homeless person, they're not having a good time. They're out there surviving horrible experiences and terrible, uh, demeaning, humiliating experiences. So they have to have moral fiber and strength to survive. And if I can give them some validation, which they're starving for, some food, some money, some help, some clothing, then I feel like I am giving them a gift even though that's not going to be the end-all or be-all for them. If I can help just a little bit, I feel that my kindness is really appreciated. Mm-hmm. And um, Are you, but you also then trying to give yourself something. Right. So I, would I, you know, I think there's a quote from Barack Obama that expresses part of what I feel. The best way not to feel hopeless is to get up and do something. Don't wait for good things to happen to you. If you go out and make good things happen, you will find the world is filled with hope and you will fill yourself with hope. And I, I, I really believe that. I feel such pain when I see homeless people. I, see, I feel such pain and outrage when I see how people are being treated in our society and how we are be- brutalizing each other. Because, yeah. mm-hmm. again... I've, uh, there's some, I think it was Mahatma Gandhi says, when you create, when you put a, a chain on a prison, a slave, the other side of the chain is attached to you. So you imprison hmm. yourself by, and so when we mistreat these people, we dehumanize ourselves because we have to gird ourselves against that. And when I help hmm. people and they, I can see it in the, their eyes that I've helped them, it fills me with hope, with joy, with happiness and warmth. And I believe that it has, I have gotten so much more back from this project and from helping these people than I've ever given. And it's been so, so wonderful. And um, I just want you to know that I feel that in this world, so many people have helped me. I have two, I have, I got a PhD and went through the public school systems and through the public universities. And 
I got many scholarships. I would not be here today without the help of many other people who have been really good to me. And so I believe that I, and also, I just want to be very clear. This project is about me giving back. I am donating all proceeds from all the book, from my movie. I've spent $60,000 to $70,000 of my own money on this project. I give out my own money all the time. So this is about my returning the joy and the help that other, and the goodness that other people have given to me because I could be there on the streets if other people hadn't helped me. Mm-hmm. And I feel that in doing this project, so many people have volunteered to help, who've stepped forward, who've helped me in this project, who've been open doors to me like you've opened this door to me. And I, I just want the message to get out there and for these beautiful people to be recognized and heard, and I'm just trying to give them a voice. And it makes mm-hmm. me feel like I'm able to live on this earth where I think I would find it intolerable to see the horror that which is going on around me if I didn't do something about it. I can now mm-hmm. go on vacation and enjoy my vacation because I feel like I've done something to contribute to the solution. And I know um, that I believe that one of the first questions that God asks us when we die and go to heaven, hopefully, it's to say and justify yourself. He says, justify your existence, he or she, God, he or she, um, uh-huh. is what have you done to make this world a better place? What have uh-huh. you done to make each other a better person? How have we right. become a light to other people to make a more humane, better society and treat mm-hmm. each other well? And I believe by doing this project, I'll have a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it reminds me, I have a quote uh, that comes to mind from a real God, Muhammad Ali, (laughs) who said, Uh uh, you know, doing good uh, is a way of paying rent for your time on this earth. You know, Um, it's, I want to ask you, and I don't know if it's it's unfair, but... uh, what have you, you know, what makes these people human? You know, you know that that's one, that's the, the leading question, uh, which would I started well, this, this show. So what, what about them makes them human? What's the fundamental, what's the essence? You know, I, I believe that people are human beings and that we need to honor the God-given humanity in each of us and that we have have to save their humanity by treating them as humans because the more we brutalize them, the more we treat them with disrespect and lack of caring, that their humanness fades and that we can crush them. And I believe that sometimes people lay down and die and give up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when their humanness is crushed to nothing. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's up to all of us to foster and to cherish each other's humanness so that we can go on. This is not a very easy world. It's, I don't think it's such an easy world. And we need to help each other along the path to create a beautiful journey for all of us in this try, trying time and in this trying life. And we cannot do it alone. That's what you are saying. That's what you learn. You saw from, from, from watching these, these men and women yeah, on, on the beach. I think we need to help each other. 
And it's the beauty. And there's, you know, it's interesting. They've done research on this. And when people reach out and help another person, there's a shot of like hormones, these hormones that make us feel good. It's built into us to help each other. And when we mm-hmm. don't, we don't experience that joy that is really one of the things that makes life worth living. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is true. You know, in, in my own Buddhist tradition, there's, there's a notion called dana, um, which is basically charitable, charitable donation. And you do it not just to create good in the world, but to help your own being. I'm paraphrasing what you were saying here through the scientific research, you know. It does something to your soul, to your cells, when you give to another human being. Um, Before we close, Stuart, uh, can you tell me um, what's this life about for you? (laughs) Well, I, I would sum it up in one word, love. And I must say, I I hope it's okay to say, but I feel like I found love and I I have the most wonderful wife I can imagine and she's so good to me and I have beautiful kids and I have good friends and some of my best friends are homeless people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's so wonderful to get to know some of these people who are profoundly talented with multiple degrees, who are professionals, who are deep human beings. And sometimes I believe trauma and difficulty brings a depth to another human being that is more profound and more beautiful. And I believe a lot of these people have had that level of trauma, and I think it's brought out some of their depth. And I I hope it's okay to say, but my book's available on Amazon.com, and my movie's coming out in a couple months on Amazon Prime. So I I just think this is, I just really want to get out the message and help these people and help our society pay attention and fund programs and that each of us as an individual can do something every day towards helping each other and making a better society where we all come together as a community. Yes. The book is called Struggle in Paradise by Toku Publishing, and as Stuart said, it's available on Amazon or, you know, order it online or wherever. All the proceeds Stuart is giving uh, back to the homeless cause. So please go buy the book to help the homeless people or go to the bookstore online and look at these portraits for your own soul. Stuart, uh, we have to take leave. You're in L.A., I'm in New York. I don't know if I will get a chance to see you, but I hope that we will actually see each other in person. But um, until then, I am very grateful for this hour uh, with you. And um, I thank you for saying that what this life is about is love, because I believe that too, and I have seen that again and again. So thank you for joining me in in sending out the message. Yes. So be safe. Take care. Be loved. And to all of you out there, please promise me today when you finish listening to this show, promise me, go out there and take a look at the person next to you or crossing path with you and feel what happens. All right? And I will find you again next week on Voice America. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. 
Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.